You know, to me, uh, leadership is changing a little bit in, in the way that it's viewed. I think that um, leadership is really at its core, um, you know, the ability to inspire, but also the ability to, to demonstrate um, compassion and, and empathy in a way that, um, you know, can, can truly demonstrate that there is a, a healthy relationship between the, the leader and the, the individuals that they are leading. Five, four, three, two, and one. And welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Earlier's Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards. Alongside me today, we have Pete Gomert, the co-founder and executive chairman of Indie Dwell. Pete, thanks for being with us today. Happy to be here. So, Pete, uh, Indie Dwell, for folks that don't know, for people listening to this on audio, I'm going to take a stab at it right now. And Indie Dwell, to me, uh, is taking on affordable housing by regenerating uh, shipping containers and turning them into affordable homes, nice quality homes for people uh, that want to live in them. Uh, is that a good way to kind of describe uh, the, the essence of, of Indie Dwell right now? I know it's a lot more. Yeah, yeah, that's that's at its base what we are doing. We're doing it, um, you know, for a lot of different reasons. But in essence, we are we're really focused on creating affordable housing in a in a really unique way. And and whether we're doing that through uh, upcycling of shipping containers or whether we're doing it um, through some other more conventional methods. Um, that is the the main focus of our uh, of our top company. Shipping containers, Pete. They're they're going all around the world. Uh, they've been in many different places. What about your career? Where have you been before this? Where have you traveled? And what kind of led up to the founding of Indie Dwell? Yeah. So uh, my career is not in housing. I did uh, I did swing a hammer and build housing when I was about sixteen to twenty two, uh, but haven't touched touched one since. So uh, I went to Villanova University, graduated with an accounting degree, started my career with Arthur Anderson. And uh, after a couple of years, six of us left and we we started our own firm that, that um, sort of morphed into a software company. And since that time, I've, I've founded or co-founded three software companies that have all grown and exited uh, over the course of my career. Uh, and after my last one, uh, I started a public benefit corporation that was focused on helping other organizations build what I call fair, equitable, and humane workplaces. And um, one of the first organizations that signed up to work with me was a company here in Idaho called Flinter Homes, uh, which was founded by my co-founder in Dwell. Uh, a guy named Scott Flynn, who's a chemical engineer by training that fell in love with building science. And as we got to know one another through that process at, at Goodwill, the public benefit corporation that I founded, um, he articulated this vision to me, which was, I thought, beautiful. And, and that was, how can we build the same quality of home that he'd been building for the top 10% of the income ladder and make it available to everyone? And and so that's that's essentially how we we got started. That was a a concept that that inspired me, and we just started trying to figure out if we could make it happen. 
and that was back in 2016. 2016, very cool. Well, it's nice that you have a, a tech background, especially in software. And anyone that's worked in softwares or, or at least has studied it knows you you do it in iterations. What type of iterations uh, does your shipping container go through in terms of stages before it uh, gets to the final product? Yeah. So we use a, a, a process that in the industry is, is called modular construction or offsite construction, uh, which basically means that we take in the, the raw shipping container and we mitigate it for anything that's happened to it while it's, it's served its useful life as a container. Um, that could in, involve anything from grinding down rust to banging out dents and so mm. forth. Um, and then we start to open it up by, in the same way, it's almost a reverse way of how you would imagine framing a house. So instead of putting up sticks um, uh, or studs to be able to frame in doorways and windows and so forth, we're actually cutting those out of the container. Um, and anytime we cut steel out of the container, we add steel back. So you can imagine us cutting an opening in a for a window or for a large room. And then we'll add some steel back to, to create the frame and make sure that we have structural integrity on that, on that container. Mm. And then from that process forward, we've got a patent pending wall assembly that we utilize to make sure that we've got a, a really, really energy efficient wall um, that actually takes up less space than a, than a, a uh, traditional wood framed wall, uh, but it's got a higher R value, a higher insulation value in that smaller space. Um, once we've got kind of the, the, the openings cut out and the, the container insulated, um, from that point forward, it's really very, very straightforward construction techniques. So we're framing out the inside, we're adding drywall, we're painting, we're adding cabinetry and so forth. The thing that's unique about offsite construction is by the time that we're done, after it's moved through 12 stages um, that we're doing the development, um, it's got its appliances installed, it's painted, it's trimmed, its flooring is done. It's really a complete house at that point. It's been inspected by the state um, twice, a rough-in inspection, a final inspection. It's got its certificate of occupancy at that time while it's sitting in our factory. Hmm. Um, and then from there, we ship it to its final destination. We install it on a, on a um, crawl space, a, a traditional foundation uh, we actually weld it to that foundation, so it's a permanent structure. And from that point forward, it's treated just like it would be if it was a, a conventional stick-built home. Um, so it's mortgaged the same, it's insured the same, it appreciates the same. Um, and it, the only thing that's really different is the time it takes from the install of our product to the time of occupancy is usually about a week. Um, and the time it usually takes to stick build a home from foundation is about six months. So, um, it's a huge difference in that, that part of, uh, the installation. Uh, when I think affordable housing, um, not in your case, but in other cases, uh, you, know, you, you, you question the durability of some homes sometimes, especially for people in underserved communities, just, just growing and, and building homes as fast as you can, maybe not might have the lifespan of a normal house or a quality house. Shipping containers are a little bit different. I feel like they're designed to be sturdy. Um, how long do these things last? If you're building these, you know, in a couple of days and then, or a couple of weeks and then people are living them in one week. Yeah. So 
We think our, our homes uh, will last, you know, most likely more than a hundred years. So they're, they're built to be very, very strong, long standing structures. And I'm glad you asked the question. There's actually four principles that we, even though we're really focused on the price point of the home, there's four principles we won't violate in order to bring the price of the home down. So those are the, the sort of founding principles of the, the way that we build homes. Uh, it's durability, energy efficiency, health, and sustainability. And, and the reason we really focus on those four things is because they end up really impacting the owner and the occupant of that particular unit. And so from a health perspective, for example, we spend a lot of our time indoors. And so traditional affordable housing might contain things like volatile organic compounds or other toxins. They may not have fresh air supply. So we really focus on indoor air quality by using all products that are CARB2 compliant, which is the California Air Resources Board second standard. It's the highest standard of indoor air quality in the country. Um, by minimizing the use of anything with a volatile organic compound in it. We include in every one of our homes a, an energy recovery ventilator so that we're bringing fresh air in 24 hours a day by having a filter and pumping out stale air. Um, so those are some of the, the health benefits that, that the occupants receive. From a durability perspective, we build with really high quality products. So, uh, you know, for example, our siding has a 50-year warranty on it comes factory painted, so it's got a 15-year paint life cycle um, before you're going to have to do your first paint. Um, we use Palo windows and solid core doors, and, you know, it's a really, really quartz countertop. It's a high-quality product, and again, that's because the occupant or the owner, if they don't have to invest money into maintenance, that's money that's going to go into their pockets and, and be a wealth generator for, mm. for the community, and it's really important in the communities that we're serving. From an energy efficiency perspective, all of our homes are net zero ready, um, so they're very energy efficient. Well, that impacts the owner and occupant again, because if you don't have to spend a lot of money on your utility bills, that's money that goes into your pocket. And then from a sustainability perspective, we do upcycle um, existing product, the, the containers. We also build in a about a 98% waste-free manner, so almost everything that we do is waste-free and will be carbon neutral in, in 2020. Um, the, every product that goes into our house is green guarded at a minimum. So uh, we, we focus heavily on, on sustainability as well. Very cool. Uh, and, and a lot of certified B corporations do. But before we dive into that, Pia, uh, you mentioned the term uh, upcycle. And for yeah. our, our, our listeners out there, maybe explain to them what that means and how a shipping container gets to Boise, Idaho, and then is regenerated. Yeah. So, um, you know, the concept of upcycling is taking an existing product and, and reimagining a use case that extends the life of that product in our mind. Um, and so... We're taking something that has served a purpose of transporting cargo around the world. It's 9,000 pounds of steel. Um, there's two and a half million of them made a year. Um, it's a lot of steel. And so rather than having those go into the waste stream or sit in a field and be a storage unit, we think there's a much higher purpose for them, um, especially given the 
amount of energy that was used to extract and create them. And so taking them and and turning them into affordable housing, we think is a really good good use. Turning them into housing of any case is probably a good use, but in our case, we think it's really, really advantageous because it creates, as you mentioned earlier, a very strong and durable and energy efficient structure. Um, in terms of how they get here, um, it can be all over the board. So they can come in via rail if there's a big shipment coming into town for some material that's needed or some product that's needed uh, for a company here in town, or um, we can tr- uh, truck them into town um, if we need excess supply. The The entire industry is, is pretty interesting in that for every shipping container that hits the shore of the US, um, for every four shipping containers that hit the shore of the, the U.S., only one goes out. So, um, so three of every four stay in the country, um, and that means we have a massive oversupply of these containers and, and no real good use case for them. Interesting. Gosh, containers. And then for people listening to this as well, you know, if you go onto their site, Andy, I think it's indiedwell.com. Is, is that right? Yeah. Yep. yeah. If you go on indiedwell.com, it's, it's not just a container. So it's, it's like a multiple containers and there's multiple homes and they're nice and they look like high quality homes. So yeah. when you, it's like, do, do people want a shipping container home built or a, 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 an indie dwell home built on their property? Like, do you have to bring in those containers to that property then have all your staff members go go through all the iterations what okay so i'm wrong what's what's the process like <laughs> no it's all done in a factory so all in a factory uh, yeah 100% well but probably 95% of the work is done in factory Interesting. and 5% is done on site <clears throat> so in this factory is like this big warehouse where you guys just import these containers and just go to town Yep. Yeah. Basically there's a bunch of welding that goes on. And then, um, again, the rest of the process is is pretty standard construction. So we've got electricians and plumbers and HVAC and, um, you know, drywall painting, finish work. It it all happens in the factory. And and by the time it's done, the, you know, that home, like I said, is about 95% done before it's shipped out. we're doing everything from single family homes all the way through apartment buildings. So, um, wide, wide variety of product type that we're delivering. So, uh, these staff members, these, uh, the home builders, um, mm-hmm. is, is there something different about these home builders? I mean, do they come to that your company because they want to make a difference? Are there, are they coming because they find it interesting? Are they come in because they're treated right. Why do you think people come to work for any dwell? Yeah, so I mentioned the four principles that we use in building the homes that we won't violate in order to bring the price of the home down. The fifth principle that we have is really around uh, employment. And and our, our goal with um, IndieDwell across the board is really to create this empowerment for, for the communities that we work in. And so when it comes to the employees that we have, um, we call them teammates and everybody that comes in um, at a minimum, our minimum wage is $16 an hour. The average wage in the factory is $22 an hour. We pay 100% of medical dental vision. Um, every employee is an owner in the business, so everybody's got equity. They all have profit sharing in the business. Um, it's year-round full-time work, which is not standard in the construction industry. 
Um, they have 20 days of paid time off per year, paternity and maternity leave for everyone. So it's a, it's a very, very different type of job when it comes to the construction industry, uh, which is generally an hourly non-guaranteed work with no benefits um, and usually at a lower rate. So we're here in, in Boise, we've got a factory, we're opening down in Pueblo. Um, here in Boise, we've got 2.6% unemployment rate, um, so essentially zero. When we post for a job, we usually get between two and 500 applications for that job. So um, we're doing something right with regards to how we're treating employees and, and the type of environment we're creating. And, and I do think that people come to Indie Dwell to have a, have a purpose in their work. Um, some are, are veterans in the construction trade. Some have never been around a construction site in their life and, and they're able to come into our factory and be exposed to every construction trade under one roof and then kind of self-select over time into the one that's most appealing to them and learn a trade that they're going to have uh, and be able to use for the rest of their lives. Pete, you said the phrase profit sharing. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? What does that mean for a business? And why do you, is this an investment or how does this uh, improve your, your business? Is the, I guess it's the core function to make profit in this case, or is it, um, I guess, why would you do something like this? Yeah, it's not the core function. So, so as you mentioned, Indie Duel is a public benefit corporation and a certified B Corp. And um, our, our goal is really to, to help solve the affordable housing crisis. However, our, in our mindset, um, if our employees can't afford a home in the markets that, that we're working in, then all we're doing is creating more problem. We're not solving the problem. And so we want to treat them as part of the solution. And, and as such, we think that having some equity in the business, having some profit sharing, being treated like a true part of the solution rather than a kind of a disposable um commodity that we can trade in and out as necessary is really important for for us and i think every business should operate this way so these are the people that are making the homes they're making this whole thing possible and and in our view they they deserve to share in the in the profit of the business and so we um we very intentionally have set that up from day one to make sure that as we're successful everybody in the business is successful and you know it's funny because Many of the many of the people in the factory have never uh, had any ownership stake in a business before. Certainly not had profit sharing, and so we have to we have to take a fair amount of time to educate people about what it means to be an owner and and uh, you know what it means to have at the end of the year uh, an additional check come in that is directly related to the activity that they were were working on. In uh, our friend Matthew Weatherly White, uh, we we spoke earlier uh, last month uh, to educate people that something like this might not be a trade off. Uh, when someone thinks of giving away profits, they think, "Oh, well, I'm not going to make as much money." What convinced you that this strategy was going to be something that would make your company more successful in the long run? Yeah. Well, I you know to be honest, this. Um the, the approach is more around doing the right thing than it is around uh, it being good for the business. However, uh, that being said, I think that there are significant economic benefits to um, behaving in this way. And the easiest is what I mentioned earlier. It's really, really um, 
easy for us to attract and retain great talent. And if you ask any leader, that's the greatest challenge you've got is, is good having good people and, and keeping good people. And so if you treat them right um, and are generous with them and, and value them in a way, again, as a, as a human rather than as a commodity, um, I think you see those benefits of not having high turnover and, and not having to do constant recruiting and replacement of, of those resources. Plus there's a level of commitment um, that the, the team members that we have um, deliver every day in terms of the quality of the product and what they're willing to do in order to make us successful that I, I don't think you get when you, uh, when you do again, act as, uh, you know, as if the, the individuals working in your business are, are really a commodity. And so, um, I think it's helped our business tremendously. It also helps when we can go out and talk to our partners that are trying to solve this problem um, and say, here's how we operate as a business. There's a lot of resonance with the communities that we're working in and say, I want to, I want to support a business like that. Not one that, you know, pays minimum wage and doesn't give employees uh, any benefits. And so um, I think it, it, it resonates in a lot of different ways. Uh, but at the end of the day, we do it because it's the right way to treat people rather than, you know, so there's an economic benefit at the end uh, for the business. What type of uh, partnerships, Pete, have been beneficial for Indiewell? Oh, lots. Um, really, the whole the whole business model is predicated on partnerships, and so we partner with developers um, that you know we we end up being the builder of the product that they're utilizing. Uh, we partner with foundations and with cities and states to bring our solutions into their areas and bring our factories into the areas. So um, we've been supported by, you know, large foundations. Chan Zuckerberg is a, is a supporter of ours. Colorado Health Foundation is a big supporter of Colorado Trust. Um, some financial institutions, Northern Trust, mm. uh, has supported the organization. Gary Community Investments, another another foundation in in. Uh, in Colorado has been a big supporter. And, you know, I, I think for us, the, the idea is that if we, if we give things away um, and create these partnerships that are long lasting, we're going to, we're going to go farther and we're going to go faster. You know, there's that old adage that if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And we think we get both of the best of both worlds. When we come into a community and we start working with the partners, um, we move a lot faster and we think we've got, you know, wonderful partners at the table that are going to be there for the long haul. So we think we're going to go farther as well. So, um, it really is a key component of what we're doing all the way on the other side of the equation where we're the customer and we've got a supply chain that <clears throat> we do our best to, um, create a long-term relationship with rather than going out and just trying to get people down to the lowest price possible. Mm. We, uh, we want to have real partners so that in great times, everybody's, everybody's doing well, but in tough times, we can band together and uh, treat each other well as well. Uh, where, where does this come from exactly? I know you were in, in tech and software, a little bit different. Uh, did, did you come across, uh, cert, like, how did you come across Certified B Corporations? Did you take the assessment? Did it start as a Certified B Corporation? How did this unfold, this ideology? Well, my interest in really in, in uh, conscious or sustainable business started uh, back in about 2006 um, when I read uh, Yves Chouinard's 
uh, let my people go surfing. Um, and that, that was the, the book that kind of kicked things off for me, uh, and, and started, uh, having an impact on the way that I was thinking and, and opened up this new possibility of a, a, just a way that businesses should be behaving within the overall uh, corporate environment. And so that's where things started for me. Um, when Scott and I met, Scott's company was already a B Corp. Um, I had founded a public benefit corporation called Goodwell. Scott's company, Flinter Homes, was already a B Corp. So it was a very easy mesh for together for us. It was a no-brainer decision for us to found IndieDwell as a public benefit corporation. And then after a year, um, which is required, then go out and search, uh, start the certified B Corporation process. So um, there, was, there wasn't even a, a discussion around us doing it. It was, it was from day one. That was the intention. Love it. And so this assessment, how has the assessment helped you uh, in terms of uh, reviewing your, your points in different sections and areas? Uh, what have you taken away uh, from from this assessment and working with the uh, certified B Corps and B Labs? I think it informed some of the things that we set up um, to begin with. We took the assessment, you know, early on and Scott had been through it before and I, I'm very familiar with it as well. And so as you go out and set up the policies and procedures for business, um, there's a lot of tools there that, that mean that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. And so um, we've utilized that across the board to, to figure out um, everything from HR policies to governance policies to sustainability policies. So it's been hmm. it's been pretty impactful. Some things are really intuitive for us. Others are just great ideas that have come around, come through the B Corp network, and we'll test them out. And if they work and they stick and they feel like they're true to the values of the business, then then we'll keep them around. And if they don't, that's okay too. You know, there are other areas where we can have uh, have a real good impact and, and not necessarily do it exactly as as B Corp would say we might uh, might need to. So, uh, for people listening to this, Pete, that uh, didn't start their company as a certified B Corporation like you. Um, not all companies have to be certified B corporations. I'm not going to tell any company to, 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 you know, change their business model. It's their business. They can do whatever they want. But what would you tell someone who has the mindset that this is, this is a trade-off that I will be sacrificing profit and that someone that thinks maximizing shareholder value is my number one priority? Well, you know, I think that that, as, as many people have seen in these, uh, in the last few years, um, it's a, it's generally speaking a short term, um, mindset. And if you, if you have that view of, you know, trying to maximize value in a very short window, they're probably right. You know, you, there are sacrifices, the fact that we have an average wage of $22 an hour in an industry that pays usually $13 or $14 an hour as an average wage, and then we pay all the benefits that we do and have profit sharing and so forth, there's real costs associated with that. I think we make it back, but if all I was trying to do was to maximize our EBITDA over the, over the course of the next two years so I could sell our business, um, I wouldn't be doing any of those things because I could just churn through people and you know have a bad culture but there's always more people who are willing to come into that and 
and we probably have better numbers in the short run. In the long haul, you know, are we going to be around for 50 years or 100 years? Are we going to have a brand reputation that's going to allow us to win more deals and, and continue to recruit people? No. But, um, you know, in the short term, I can maximize that value. So that's my thought process is that as we move forward into this future, which has uncertainty around climate change and sustainability and inequality and so forth, the businesses that really do focus on doing the right thing for the right reasons are going to stay around. They're going to have a long-term relationship with their both employees, their customers, their communities, um, and their supply chain. And they're going to do the right things for the, for the environment. And, and I think that that's going to create immense value over time, um, far beyond the kind of short-term maximization of, of, margins and or shareholder value. Uh, Pete, we have a, a list coming up called the Realtors Impact Awards. Uh, we have 100 companies uh, generating impact on it. Um, your your company, Indie Dwell, uh, intentionally, obviously, taking on the affordable housing crisis, regenerating this deal. But how important is measuring impact to you? And do you, or does Indie Dwell uh, measure their impact? We do. Yeah. And I think it is important. It's important. It's one of the reasons why even as a, um, a public benefit corporation, we went and, and sought out the B Corp certification so that, you know, just because you have intentionality doesn't mean that you always act with that intentionality. And so having a third party come in and, and review the work that you're doing and make sure that we are constantly improving. It is an iterative process. You don't just go out and say, Hey, we're good and we do these things and that's it. We want to constantly be evaluating and iterating on that process. Um, so that's one side of the equation. We also um, run through, it's called Goodwill certification, which is similar in nature to the, the B Corp or B Lab uh, assessment. But it's a it's shorter and has a, a binary view of the power operating. So it's a pass fail rather than a points based system, and that keeps us honest as well. So that we can't um, you know start falling down in one of the areas, whether that's employee net promoter score or um, compensation ratios or safety or or anything like that. So. Um, we do those two things from an, uh, an external third-party assessment perspective. And then internally, we measure things that are really important to us and our mission. And that is uh, things like how many of these these 9,000-pound steel units we're taking and upcycling. So basically, how much steel have we recycled or upcycled? Um, how much waste we are producing? Our carbon footprint impact? Um, how many individuals we have placed into housing that wouldn't otherwise have had housing. So there's a number of different things that we are measuring, which are internal metrics to us um, that, again, help us to ensure that we are having the impact that we set out to have. Uh, thanks for sharing that, Pete. And so uh, for your cor- the course of your career, uh, you said you've been, I guess, into, into well, 20, 2006, so it's about 13 years uh, you've been in the organization. What's different about IndieDwell? No, over- 2016, you were on IndieDwell started? So three years. So what's what's the difference uh, between working at IndieDwell versus your former uh, career opportunities? Well, you know, I think it, what's it, one of the interesting things for me is, um, you know, going from software where you build things that you only see on your screen to, um, 
moving into a manufacturing process where you can actually touch and feel the product at the end of the day and stand inside of it. It's a, a, it's a very different experience for me. One that I really, really enjoy because I I've always liked being able to see what you're doing at the end of the day. And, and software is not like that. You know, it is, it's, uh, it's not as tangible. So that's very different. Um, this has been, as I mentioned, kind of a ground up culture that, um, we built with intentionality and my prior businesses have all been venture backed, um, businesses where, um, you're building really to, to create economic value. And, and while we had good cultures and good environments, um, it, they weren't built from the ground up with this idea and intentionality around having an impact. And so, um, that's been really rewarding. And interestingly, I've never been part of a business where, um, the market has reacted so dramatically to business that we're building. So we've done no marketing whatsoever. Every sale that we've done has been inbound to us. Um, and we've built, we now have about a $450 million pipeline of business in, you know, two years and, uh, literally have not spent a dollar on marketing. And so I think that speaks to something that the, the, the culture, um, the environment that we are living in today is hungry for solutions that are more impactful and, and demonstrate a, uh, a higher purpose than, than, you know, creating value to, to shareholders. So, um, that has probably been the greatest difference. I just, I, it continues to astound me that people are reaching out on a daily basis to say, how do we work with you guys? And, and normally when you start a company, you're standing there and, you know, on the top of the mountain, screaming, waving your hands saying, pay attention to me, pay attention to me. This is really important <laughs> here. You know, we just put ourselves out there and the world has come to us. So that's been, uh, been really rewarding and, and, uh, absolutely shocking to me. That that is pretty shocking. I wish that I wish I was the same, Peter. I wouldn't have to be doing this podcast. <laughs> uh, but okay, so this all sounds great, but there has to be some challenges as well. Uh, maybe explain to our audience uh, some of the downsides of, of of running and starting a startup with a sustainable mission. Yeah, I think that, you know, being able to convey what we're doing to the capital markets, um, to be able to raise capital and do what we're doing is really, really hard. Um, there is a, there's a big movement, Matthew's part of it, um, uh, that is focused on impact investing and it's nascent. Um, while there are a lot of dollars that sit around there, they're not well-defined and, and they don't really, um, they're not willing to, to offer concessions when it comes to returns. And uh, my sense is that when you dive really, really deep into impact, you're going to have to have some concessionary returns and the market just isn't there yet. So on the flip side of the equation, you've got sort of the, the philanthropic market who's used to just giving their money away and, and they're starting to try to figure out how do we move into this cycle of, of really investing into impact so that we might get our money back, even though it might be slightly less or it might be slightly more and have a return. Um, but they're really, this is not their traditional space. They're used to, again, just investing into people through grants and, and expecting zero return. So they don't know how to think about it um, uh, in this, in this impact investing way either. And so you've got, 
sort of institutional capital that's towing, you know, edging their way into the water and, and philanthropic capital that's doing the same. And there's a, there's a pretty big mismatch in the middle. Um, hmm. So that, that part has been pretty challenging. Uh, we're very fortunate that we were able to get a, an amazing group of partners around the table to support us, but, but it was hard. It was hard work. Um, and then, you know, beyond that, there, there's just amazingly challenging things in running a business every day. I think we're, we're innovating in a number of different ways from the materials that we're using to our construction methods and the industry, the, the housing industry is starting to be open to these innovations, but, um, they're, they're not quite there yet either. And so, um, having people really understand on the, on the finance side, again, banks and so forth, what offsite construction is or modular construction, um, having communities, cities and whatnot say, yeah, you can use that type of construction in my city and, and issue, uh, permits and, and work with us on that. That's all hard work. And so there's a, there's a tremendous amount of, you know, daily blocking and tackling to get through all of these, these challenges. But, you know, that's, that's typical of any type of business when you're trying to do something different. So, um, I'd say the biggest, the biggest challenge in this, in this impact space in particular is, is still capital being able to find the right partners who have a long time horizon, who, who buy into the, to the value proposition of, social impact or as as the primary goal and economic impact as the as the secondary um that's pretty hard to hard that's a hard sell right uh, right so and, and things are getting better but but it's it's heavy lifting right well because eight years ago was the or eight years prior to the inception of your company there was a housing crisis mm-hmm. uh but certified b corporations i'm not i can't speak for all of them but uh, they have been known to be pretty formidable throughout those recessions. Um, have you thought about an, an upcoming recession? I'm sure you have. And uh, what, like, what are your thoughts on Indie, Indie Dwells? Um, or do you think Indie Dwell can really weather that storm if another one were to come? Yeah, I think there's, there's, and I won't go too deep into this because it's, it can get a little heady. But um, yeah, the because that last recession was housing focused, um, what happened in this country is we just stopped building housing. So a lot of the builders that were, uh, were in the market back in 2008, um, were, were really decimated and a lot went bankrupt. A lot of people that worked in the trades left the trades because they were too variable and risky mm-hmm. for them and they went okay. to other industries. So the, the, the country just stopped building and yet we didn't stop, um, having children, creating households, um, having people immigrate into the country. And so the demand for housing kept rising while we didn't build. And that has created this huge, huge um, glut of, of demand that we have in the market right now. And then you've had another really, really major impact, which is um, the combination of increased travel and the success of, of short-term rentals, so an Airbnb, VRBO, that have really sucked a lot of the rental inventory out of the market. And so these two big macro issues that, that have occurred over the last decade um, have changed the market 
for housing really dramatically and probably for a very long time, if not permanently. And so um, while we see that, you know, I, I believe that there probably is some kind of a slowdown or, or a recession, you know, looming, although I've thought that for a while. Uh, <laughs> I think the demand for housing is just going to continue to be incredibly strong. And in a recession, the demand for affordable housing is going to skyrocket because you're going to have more people lose their jobs and be really struggling to be able to afford their rents. And so, um, you know, I, I do think that we need to be careful moving into sort of the next five years, but uh, demand to this point has not been an issue at all. And I think, like I said, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be probably increasing if we see some, some economic slowdown. Interesting. I, I never thought about it like that. It's very, very interesting. Um, well, Pete, I'm sure our audience right now is asking, yeah. Kevin, why have you asked how much these, these homes cost? What are yeah. the price points for these homes? Uh, and how are you creating comparables in this marketplace? Yeah, it's a great question. So um, one of the things that we do in order to uh, sort of meet the market demand, but also be able to hit price points that, that are very affordable is we focus on on smaller footprint living. Um, you know, the the average homes in this country has continued to increase year over year since the 50s, and yet we've got this trend of of people saying, "I don't want that 3,000 square foot home anymore. I want I want something that's smaller that I can maintain easily, um, and I want to spend my life living rather than maintaining my house." And so we're supporting that uh, movement by by living smaller, and and so our smallest independent standalone home is 320 square feet. Um, our largest unit right now is 960 square feet. So those range from 55,000 to $122,000, um, 55 for the 320 square foot up to 122 for the 960 square foot home. Um, and in almost every market that we're working in, that's far, far below what the, uh, what somebody can afford a house, uh, or, or what the houses are in those given markets. So we've seen, again, really, really strong demand, especially because these are net zero ready homes that are very durable, very healthy and very sustainable. So, um, so that's the, that's the value proposition in the long run. Well, Pete, it's been uh, a pleasure speaking with you today. I've learned a lot. Uh, never thought I would, in, the, in a million years I was going to be speaking with a, an organization like this. So thanks for coming on the show. Uh, very inspiring. Uh, you did mention one thing in, in your first answer. Uh, you said your co-founder articulated this mission to you back in, in 2016. Um, that's a really good trait of, of leadership, someone that can articulate a mission. Um, what's leadership to you and how do you define it? Yeah. So, um, Scott, who is the CEO and he's my, my co-founder is really good at, at delivering sort of the vision and the, and the values of the business. He's, he's far better than I am. Um, but I think, you know, to me, uh, leadership is changing a little bit in, in the way that it's viewed. I think that, um, leadership is really at its core, um, you know, the ability to inspire, but also the ability to, to demonstrate um, compassion and, and empathy in a way that, um, you know, can, can truly demonstrate that 
there is a, a healthy relationship between the the leader and the, the individuals that they are leading. And, and without that, you know, I've seen I've seen leaders of groups really create results through, um, you know, being very hard and 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 you know, demanding and, and so forth. And, and some will argue that that's the right way to lead. I, I don't believe it is. I think that, that sharing a vision, sharing purpose, and then and then operating from a place of, of empathy and compassion um, is is the way to lead and, and creates a much more healthy environment where people can thrive. So um, that's the way that we look at it here at, at Individual. Pete, uh, again, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. We talked about a lot today. Uh, talked about upcycling shipping containers. Uh, talked a little about your career from the tech and now into the certified B Corp world. How you're using the assessment, what goes into the work culture, the housing crisis. Do you think Indeed Well will sustain another one? Uh, and lastly, wrapped up with a little bit of leadership advice. So appreciate you coming on the show, Pete. For Pete Gomber, I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there, demonstrate compassion to connect with your followers. And always, folks, keep it real. Thanks, Pete. Thank you. Pleasure being here.